Dickens A Christmas Carol or read it in some fashion or form in the past? Everybody? Most. Okay. Good. Um, But if you haven't, there might be a couple in the room. The story is about this old, mean, rich guy who treated everyone around him really badly, right? He was stingy and rude and just plain mean, ultimately. And on Christmas Eve, the ghost of his his former business partner came to him and told him that he needed to learn from the error of his ways or he'll be bound forever in the chains of his bad behavior in this life. So that ghost came and then said, there's going to be three more ghosts that are going to come in order to help you, Scrooge, to figure this out and, and accept this truth. So that's, that's kind of where this idea of the ghosts of Christmas past came from. It's not like it's from the Bible or something. <laughs> However, Ghosts of things in the past can be a lot of different things for us. Sometimes it doesn't feel all merry. It could be how people view us or, or label us, if you will. We just can't get away from how they have looked at us and we think they will always look at us the same way. It could be the fact that we've been hurt by other people and that has just never been fixed And we're reminded of that all the time, and especially at Christmas, maybe because we have to see that person at a holiday gathering, or a couple of them, right? Or maybe it's because of something that we've done or failed to do, and it haunts us, fills us with guilt or shame. That's the one I'm going to be talking about today, is kind of the guilt and shame that we can feel that feels overwhelming at times. And it can really completely sap joy that we might feel at Christmas time. And sometimes people may just tell you, just forgive yourself. But you don't seem to be able to do that. Some of the good news of Christmas is that God has the answer for all of that. There is hope for that ghost and all of them to be banished. So as we, as we dive in, I'm going to give you two quick scenarios, and I won't talk about them really till toward the end of the message, but consider these two made up, these are made up, these are fake scenarios, but consider uh, Sally and Carl's marriage of 13 months. It was shaky at best. One day, Sally discovered she was pregnant. Not wanting to interrupt her new law career and greatly fearing motherhood, she secretly got an abortion. When Carl found out a year later, he exploded and walked out and they were eventually divorced. Five years later, Sally has become a believer in Jesus, but she continues to struggle with one major roadblock. I know the Lord has forgiven me for aborting my child, she reveals, but I just can't forgive myself. Or, how about this one? Jim says, I became a Christian when I went to college and kind of kept my Christian life separate from my parents because I didn't think they'd understand. I really wanted them to know and I felt guilty for not telling them. But then it was too late because I froze up in my dad's hospital room instead of telling him about Jesus. And now I can't forgive myself for missing the opportunity to do what I'd wanted to for so many years. We could have any one of a thousand scenarios, right? Where there is shame or there is guilt that we feel. And one of the pieces of advice that is certainly predominantly more today being given is just forgive yourself in order to fix those things. I want to use God's word today to give us some more helpful and accurate things to do that can really help us with with what I think people mean when they say forgive yourself. 
and truly then overcome the shame that haunts us. That's the goal of this morning. So I want to start, we'll start with some dictionary definitions. We'll go to Webster's. Um, The first of the definitions of forgiveness, which is a part of what God says is necessary for getting rid of shame, is to cease to feel resentment against an offender. Okay, so in forgiveness, when somebody has harmed me, I, I stop feeling mad or sad about what they've done. So that's one piece of forgiveness, I suppose, and it deals with the feeling part. There's more to it than that, though. The second part of Webster's definition is to to give up a claim or to compensation or vengeance, right? That's what happens if somebody runs into your car. You have a claim to compensation because they did something to harm you or to harm your property at that point, Um, or maybe somebody punched in the mouth. And you would have a a claim to some kind of vengeance or punishment for them. So forgiveness then is giving up that claim to compensation or vengeance. Here's Webster's third one. To forgive is to grant relief from repayment of a debt. So let's say my bank just decided, Steve, we like you. We're going to write off your mortgage. Forgive your mortgage. They have not called me to do that, just so you know, but I, I would not mind it a bit if they did, right? They, I owe them money, and if they write it off and say, you don't owe it anymore, don't worry about it. That is forgiving the debt. So those are kind of three parts to a, a dictionary definition, and dictionaries are helpful, but I think we probably ought to go to the authoritative source of definitions, especially when it comes to things that the Bible talks about, and forgiveness is one of those. How does the Bible define forgiveness. So there are several, lots of passages actually that you could go to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Exodus 34, 7. I think I actually have it in the slides. This is um, speaking about God who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished inflicting the punishment of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So one thing I want to see out of that verse is that the opposite of forgiveness is punishing the guilty, right? When God chooses to forgive, to not give punishment, then that is what forgiveness is. So forgiveness includes withholding deserved punishment. And the dictionary definitions balance that out, right? There's There's a punishment that is deserved, but forgiveness involves not giving out that punishment. And we can relate to that a little bit, but maybe it was a time where you got pulled over because you you might have been over the speed limit. I'm I'm sure the gun was wrong, right? (laughs) Um, You you got pulled over for speeding, but when the officer came up to talk with you, checked your license, registration, all those things, all he did was give you a warning. And you're like, whew, right? There was a relief from the penalty. There, the penalty was not given when it was even deserved. That is forgiveness, one part of forgiveness. I want to read another one, Nehemiah 9.17. And as this is coming out of a passage where there's a lot of confession going on. But in Nehemiah 9.17, it says this, um, God, or they refused to listen, 
and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you performed among them. So that's their action. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in, in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and you did not abandon them. This adds one more element, one more layer to what forgiveness is. He is abounding in loving kindness even when people are rebellious and stubborn. And he's ready to remove the offense that they've done against him just because that's what he's like. Forgiveness is is when God takes things away that are done to him. And we'll talk a little bit more about how people have some of that role as well. I wanted to kind of have us look at a little picture of this. This was the part that I was most nervous about today. Food coloring in an auditorium. Magic, I don't know if it's magic, but it's not so bad to look. Can you all see the blue color there? Okay, it's not so bad to look at it in there, but what if I took this food coloring and went all over your shirt? You would probably be very happy with me. Oh, thank you so much for putting that food coloring all over my shirt. And right now we have nothing up here. Um, And so there would be at least a desire maybe to punch me in the nose. It's possible if I had done that. Um, But even if you chose to withhold that vengeance, that response, I I deserved it, quote-unquote, that's one part of forgiveness, and yet every time you looked at that shirt, you're like, oh, I can't believe he did that. There is a, a way that you would look at me differently every time you put that shirt on, right? What forgiveness does, what it is, is when God does the removal part of that. There is a, a part to actually getting rid of the color, getting rid of the stain. And this was my, my other fear, was that the thing wouldn't actually work. So it, it took me a little bit probably about 30 seconds, and hopefully that will be the case. If not, you'll just have to bear with me. It's lightning. Um, So what happens is, in forgiveness, I've held back from that response, but forgiveness then, on my part, as the part of the offended, is I don't even look at that person again. Like, I, I remove the stain, I get rid of it such that it's no longer there and I don't think about that when I look at them. I don't think about how I've been hurt or the consequences of that. And as we look at that, you you can't put the drop of food coloring back into the bottle, right? It's in there and it makes the stain and it still looks like it's leaving its effects. Um, The... What we have to do, the rest of forgiveness for us, is removing the offense so there's no reminder of the wrong done in the first place. There's no reason for shame then, right? When that's the case, because there's no harm still between you. Forgiveness actually removes the harm, removes what was done, not because it didn't happen, because it did. It was put there, but forgiveness says, I'm not going to look at that anymore. I refuse to see that anymore. I won't let it cause a difficulty between you and me. And 
the pictures in God's word for this. God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, right? It's not that our sins didn't happen, because they did. We know they've happened. It's not that God doesn't know about them anymore because he puts them behind his back. That's another description, right? It's not that he forgets. He is all-knowing. He knows about our sin, but what he chooses to do is look at us and not see that sin anymore when we take his plan for forgiveness. That's what forgiveness really does. So forgiveness, the rest of it, including not holding back on the, the punishment, is actually removing the offense so there's no reminder of the wrong that's done in the first place. There's, there's no reason for shame because there's no harm between you. We're, we're close, right? See that? And it should go all the way away if my science is correct. <laughs> One more piece to go along with this. So there's holding back and removing the offense between two people. But in Psalm 86.5, it also says this, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. To all who call upon you. Forgiveness is something that is asked for and granted, or not, I suppose, by the one who's sinned against. So forgiveness has to be asked for and granted by someone. So the person who is offended has to choose what they will do with the offense done to them. Inflict punishment, require punishment, or remove the offense so there's nothing that you see in between you. That is forgiveness. So hold back on punishment, remove the offense, and ask for that removal. That's all of what's required in that. So then we have to ask, Who needs forgiveness according to the Bible? Some of the the clear things that the Bible teaches about forgiveness is that we all need it from God, right? We can probably acknowledge that just on our own um, because we know how we act and think and speak sometimes. But whether we evaluate ourselves that way or not, God's word says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to at least acknowledge that it says that about us. And that truly is one-way vertical forgiveness. One-way vertical forgiveness. So when we ask of God for forgiveness, he doesn't punish and instead he removes the offense from us. Now actually, God's forgiveness is he doesn't punish us. He still punished sin, right? Because he punished his son. That's what Jesus' death was about. By the way, um, I, I need to call attention to the fact that there's no place in the Bible where it describes that people should forgive God. There's actually conversation like that out there where he didn't let something go the way that I want or people think he's too harsh. There is nothing like that in the Bible and the reason is because God never does anything wrong. He is always perfect and perfectly holy which adds kind of the final necessary piece to understanding forgiveness which is the the definition for wrong or sin between the old and new testaments that's hebrew and greek right there are are 20 different words that translate to describe sin and here i'll I'll give you the english samples a, a few of them anyway so there's missing the mark badness rebellion iniquity going astray wickedness wandering ungodliness, 
crime, etc. And I just listed a few. There's tons of words that get translated and describe sin. So how then do we, we see what this is? We'll go just as simple as we can. And in 1 John 3, 4, it says, sin is lawlessness. Okay, so we'll use that definition. That means that anything that goes against who God is or what he has commanded requires forgiveness. We would all say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But that also means that he's the only one who defines the things that require forgiveness. I don't get to be in on that definition. He does. He's the one that determines what is the violation, what the standard is, why, why I should have to ask for forgiveness in the first place. I don't get to decide that. He does because he's the one that is perfect and has given those standards. And so then how do we know if we have that forgiveness? I think we know based upon 1 John 1, 9, right? You know this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a familiar verse, but that really provides the answer. And you notice the, the components. If we confess, it's like the Psalm 86 verse. There is a necessity for us to ask for forgiveness from God. So we ask him for that forgiveness, and it says he is the one who answers. He is faithful. You know that word means he always keeps his promises. He always does what he says. He's consistent. He always is the same. He is faithful and always will keep his promise to, to forgive sins. I always struggled with the, the next word in this verse, though. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why is it just? Forgiveness seems unjust to God, right? I mean, I've violated him, his commandments, and so justice requires punishment if it's just justice alone. But because of God's justice and mercy, he chose to put Jesus on the cross so that he'd die, not because he sinned, but because of ours. But he rose again so that we could have forgiveness. So it's just for God to forgive our sins because Jesus' death was a huge deal. It's the biggest ever. If God doesn't forgive sin for, for you and me, when we are truly confessing and repenting, so there's the confess and turn part, it's not just saying some words, it is turning from, desiring to be rid of it. If God didn't forgive us, he'd be saying Jesus' death on the cross wasn't worth enough. He'd be saying it wasn't strong enough for you, just the rest of the people. He would be saying that his blood was not effective enough. So if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He will keep his promise to forgive it, but he's also just because he honors his son's sacrifice on the cross and all the payment that was made there as big enough, powerful enough, effective enough for anyone who would confess and believe in Jesus. That is the way that forgiveness is obtained. And so how do we know if we have it? If we confess it to God, he will forgive it because he promises. So we know we need forgiveness and God grants it if we confess, but others need it from us too. This is kind of a, the opposite. We talked about the, horror, or the vertical forgiveness, so the ones that we receive when we've done wrong to God, but the other kind that the Bible talks about is horizontal forgiveness, right? To, to one another. We must forgive one another. 
And in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, it says this, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. So, in that verse, the command is right at the beginning. It says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness. And when you put on that heart of, it includes one of the other actions, which is forgiving those who have a complaint against us. So the command is put on this heart and it includes forgiving. It is required of us to forgive others. And it says how you do that is the same way that the Lord forgave you. Even if that person deserves punishment or deserves your reaction in anger because of what they've done to you, the way the Lord forgave you was he withheld that punishment. And he didn't stop there and keep holding it over your head, right? He didn't just not punish you and say, ah, that's that sinner over there. I'll listen to him again. That's not how God treats us, right? And so how should we treat the person who has sinned against us if we're granting forgiveness? Not only do we not respond in anger to them, if we forgive them, then when we look at them, we see someone that we love and that we will care for because that's how God loved us and forgave us. So horizontal forgiveness is required too. And this is a command. This is a command. Put on this heart with forgiving And so if we do not grant forgiveness to someone, if we violate a command of God, we are sinning as well, right? Mark 11, 26 says this, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your offenses. So God takes it seriously when we do not treat people in the same way. So we receive vertical forgiveness from God anytime we confess because of Jesus. And he says, you must grant that to others as well. So we're required to withhold deserved punishment because of whatever sin they did against us. And we're also supposed to remove the stain of the offense that's there. We, we don't forget very easily either. It's not like we forget the harm that they did to us. We have to choose instead to view them differently because we aren't going to look at that stain anymore. We remove it as well from our thinking. And that's what allows a relationship to be restored. And we have the pattern and the power to do so because of how God forgave us. The other side of the equation is true too. If we've sinned against someone and we either recognize it ourselves or been confronted by someone who's shown us our sin, we need to ask forgiveness because we have brought that harm and broken the relationship. Then they have to decide, will they grant it or not in the way that God commands them to? It's, it's still amazing every time that a human being grants forgiveness, isn't it? Because <laughs> we have long memories and hurt feelings that can linger, but when we do, we are actually modeling what God has given us his power to do. We are given his power and we are acting like God when we grant forgiveness. So, I spent all this time on forgiveness. It's pretty basic stuff, and I know probably a lot of you have been around church for a long time. But those, that's it in the Bible. Okay, there's, there's only vertical forgiveness described from God to us, and then horizontal forgiveness, that which we grant to one another. That's all that there is. So what about the advice to forgive ourselves? What do we do with that? What does that mean? Um, 
I guess I'll start this way. I believe, and I know this church believes, that we believe that God's word is what we need to be fully prepared for life and doing it God's way, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, and that the, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that God's word is for that. And, and because there's no mention of self-forgiveness, there's not. There's nothing in scripture that says you need to forgive yourself. That idea then comes from some other source, right? Can we acknowledge that? If it's not coming from the Bible, then it's not something that God has given. So it comes from someplace else. And, and I think it's coming from humans who have a, a real desire to care for people, honestly. It's not out of some bad motivation that this conversation about self-forgiveness arises. But it, it's a, even though it's a good atten- intention, I think it, it misses the mark in its effectiveness, Let me go back to those two scenarios I gave you at the beginning, okay? Sally and Jim. Go back and talk about them. Sally said she couldn't forgive herself for the abortion even though she said she knew that God forgave her. She said, I can't forgive myself. So if we think about this a little bit, Sally's sin was against God and his standard, right? Um, Needing vertical forgiveness, God was the primary one harmed in her actions. The baby was harmed but immediately cared for by God and couldn't take action to provide forgiveness. But honestly, in saying that she couldn't forgive herself, she created some other standard that was higher than God's. Because if God forgave her, then that's what she needed. If then she can't forgive herself, then she, her standard, this other standard, means more and is more important than God's standard was to her. That, that's probably a problem, right? She was also saying in that that Jesus' death for her sins wasn't sufficient to cover hers. If she couldn't forgive herself, then Jesus' death was too little. It didn't mean enough in order to take care of mine because mine was really, really bad. So that, that minimizes who Jesus is in that case. Her, her real problem is not believing that God can and did grant her forgiveness when she asked, that God wouldn't be big enough to take care of her or love her. So her real need is to be overwhelmed with how big and how loving and how forgiving God really is, right? Not to forgive herself. She needs to see, wait, Jesus' death was so big that it can take care of everything for me. God is so loving and gracious that he would punish his only son and not give me punishment so I can be free. There is therefore now no condemnation for all who are in Jesus Christ. And if that's true of Sally, then condemning doesn't come from God and it can't come from people, but she just needs to believe that God has actually granted her all that she needed in his forgiveness. So that, that's Sally's. Now, Jim's was slightly different. Remember, he said he couldn't forgive himself for missing the opportunity to do something he'd wanted to do for years, right? In this case, it was sharing Jesus with his dad. And so Jim's sin really would have been disobeying Jesus' command to share the gospel, right? That, that's what his, his sin would have been. That would have been God's standard that was broken. But what Jim said was that he couldn't forgive himself for missing an opportunity for something he wanted. I can't forgive myself for missing out on doing something that I've wanted for so long. 
right? Do you, do you hear the difference there? It, it wasn't that he had broken God's standard. It was because he wanted something and now he couldn't have it and so he wouldn't forgive himself because of, of his own desires in that. What he may have been saying was, I could have been happy if I had done that. He was really just, just venting his regret for not doing something that profited him rather than for not living up to God's standard. So Jim's real need was to value God's standard rather than his own. The, the fact that he didn't share the gospel should have been the thing that mattered because that's what God says, but he was like, but I didn't get what I wanted, and that was his standard that really bothered him. He could have had God's forgiveness and the freedom that came with that if he valued God's standard, but instead he had his own, and so he held on to his own shame and regret because he drew his own lines. There's lots of other things that we can do when we talk about forgiving ourselves. Here's some other things that could mean. I'm not saying they do for sure in every case. But it could be more of a, I can't believe I did that. Right? I can't forgive myself because I can't believe I did that. Other people might do that kind of thing, but not me. We don't realize how nasty our sin is or that we're not really above somebody else's standard. We're not above them. And yeah, they could do it, but not me. So we're really evaluating ourselves as pretty good. I can't believe I did that. Well, if we're all depraved, which is how the Bible defines us, then we should never be surprised at our sin, but really grateful that God would grant forgiveness. So Jim was saying, I haven't lived up to my own high standards. I know God has standards, but... He might forgive, but mine are much higher and more important, so I won't forgive myself. It also could mean I'm confused about roles and how God made people. I do think that this conversation about forgiving ourselves is is confusing. What's the person actually saying when he or she speaks of forgiving themselves? Has she sinned against herself? Or has his self forgived against him? Who is the he who forgives his self? Are you getting confused yet? It really is that. Who is the judge that determines the guilt even exists between me and myself? Do you hear this dichotomy of person? Like there's two people going on inside of me and so one can be judge. It's just a whole... We're not divided up people. We're not divided up into intellectual or metaphysical parts that negotiate inside of ourselves. That is only a recipe for confusion. So to talk about forgiving ourselves only introduces confusion about life and what's really needed when we do that. So I think that it seems that speaking of forgiving ourselves is really a misdiagnosis of the real problem that we're facing. One of the articles that I read when researching this topic was by Pastor Robert Jones who said, mislabeling your broken arm as a viral infection will do you no good, right? So me saying I need to forgive myself instead of either asking for God's forgiveness or receiving somebody else's forgiveness is a misdiagnosis of the true problem. I don't want to deal with that. I'd rather deal with myself because I'm a more forgiving judge or a harsher judge. I set the standards. So mislabeling it won't help us. Instead, God's word is living and active and sharp and makes us able to judge or discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. How many of you have read the Christmas story of Jesus being born in a manger in Bethlehem from Luke 2? Probably many times at Christmas, right? (laughs) We've read the Christmas story out of Luke 2. 
maybe even every year. Here's what the Bible says would happen because Jesus came at Christmas. This is just four verses before the Christmas story starts. Here's the verse. Um, Can you put that? Do I have that in there? Oh, yeah, there we go. And this is where Zechariah is talking about John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah. And it talks about how he would give to his people, this is the Messiah, the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercies of God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Notice how the the freedom and rescue salvation comes by having our sins forgiven. So salvation by the forgiveness of our sins from God. It comes from the tender mercy of our God. That's where it comes from, right? The source of that forgiveness, that freedom, that redemption is from him. And notice what it does here. It says it shines upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It banishes the darkness, even the ghosts of the past, and it guides our feet into the way of peace. So you have a few things that you can do about shame and guilt this Christmas. I don't think that forgiving yourself is at the top of your priority list, but, but you can receive God's gift of salvation. Maybe for the first time you would confess your sins and turn from them to God for the rest of your life. That is the way of peace and freedom from now until all eternity. Maybe you've already received that gift of eternal life, but you're still struggling with some kind of shame or guilt. Today, I'd encourage you, be blown away by God's love and power and mercy and the huge magnitude of what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. Not only did God forgive you the first time, but he will forgive you again today so that you can be restored to that fully open relationship, nothing between you that you had at first. Or maybe you need to forgive someone else. Maybe that's your work in order to not have this this ghost linger around you at Christmas. Grant forgiveness. If you're resisting granting forgiveness, you're, you're hurting God and missing out on the freedom and joy that comes with a restored relationship. I trust that you will enjoy banishing the ghost of past guilt this Christmas by either receiving God's forgiveness or granting it to someone else so you can walk in the way of peace every day. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be forgiven and to know that it is a transaction that you do that solves all of it. And I don't have to be the one to solve anything because you are the one I go to. And yet, Lord, you've called me, called us to forgive that same way others. Help us to purpose in our heart to do that so that when we come to this Christmas, there's nothing between us or another person so that we can enjoy the beauty of restored relationship because of forgiveness that you grant or that we grant others. Help us not to be confused um, and hold on to our own standards or things that will harm us in our thinking. In Jesus' name, amen.